This is a five train. The next stop is Wall Street. Herzlich willkommen zu Wall Street Weekly, dem Börsenpodcast aus New York. Ich bin Sophie Schimanski und ich freue mich sehr, dass Sie auch diesen Montag wieder mit dabei sind. Es sind schwere Tage, diese Tage. Und genau wie in Europa versuchen auch hier in den Vereinigten Staaten die Regierung und die Notenbank alles Mögliche, um eine Rezession abzumildern. Und die scheint momentan unvermeidbar. Mit Fiskal- und Geldpolitik bewaffnet versucht man den Unternehmen und Konsumenten zu helfen und die wild gewordenen Aktienkurse zu beruhigen. Aber wie effektiv sind diese Maßnahmen? Wenn man sich die massiven Kursverluste anschaut, scheinen sie zumindest die Wall Street nicht zu besänftigen. Darüber spreche ich mit einem der Chefökonomen der Deutschen Bank, Matthew Luzetti, und mit Patrick Haley, Gründer und CEO der Investmentberatung Kaliber Financial Partners. Die beiden sind sich nicht überall einig, aber das macht das Ganze ja auch gerade spannend. Wir sprechen über die Notenbank und darüber, wie es weitergeht und wir bekommen von Haley die Tipps, die er gerade seinen Kunden weitergibt. Und wir enden mit einer Börsenweisheit von dem amerikanischen Investoren und Unternehmer Robert Arnett. Und hier geht es mir vor allem um dieses unangenehme Gefühl in der Magengrube, wenn man momentan sein Portfolio checkt. Die Straßen New York sind dieser Tage ungewöhnlich still, bis auf die typischen Sirenen und einige wenige Laute, die es sonst nicht über den Auto- und Menschenlärm schaffen. Vogelgezwitscher. Die Stadt, die niemals schläft, ist eine Geisterstadt. Auch hier haben Restaurants und Bars geschlossen, ebenso Fitnessstudios. Die Schulen werden ab dem 1. April geschlossen. Die ansonsten überfüllte Subway ist selbst zu Rush Hour leer, weil die New Yorker zu Hause arbeiten. Seit gestern dürfen sie ihr Zuhause nur aus wichtigen Gründen verlassen. In anderen Städten rund um den Globus sieht es nicht anders aus. Die Weltwirtschaft liegt lahm. Menschen essen nicht mehr auswärts, sie gehen nicht mehr shoppen und sie reisen schon gar nicht mehr. Und vor allem fliegen sie nicht mehr. Die Hälfte aller Hotelzimmer in den USA ist unbesetzt. Die Folge ist, dass geschätzt alleine in der Hotelbranche eine Million Jobs wegfallen werden. Hinzu kommt, der Ölpreis fällt seit Wochen, unter anderem, weil die Investoren eine geringere Ölnachfrage prognostizieren in diesem Umfeld. Ray Dalio, der Gründer des größten Hedgefonds der Welt, Bridgewater Associates, schätzt die US-Unternehmensverluste aufgrund der Coronavirus-Pandemie auf 4 Billionen US-Dollar. Weltweit werde der Ausbruch Unternehmen 12 Billionen Dollar kosten. Die Regierungen und Zentralbanken versuchen gegenzusteuern. Die Trump-Regierung bemüht sich, das wachsende Nachfrageloch zu stopfen. Mit einem Konjunkturpaket von bis zu 1,3 Billionen US-Dollar, je nachdem, was diese Woche verabschiedet wird, einschließlich der Idee, mit Checks über jeweils 1.000 Dollar Geld direkt an die Amerikaner zu senden. Die amerikanische Notenbank hat geldpolitische Maßnahmen ergriffen. Sie werden 700 Milliarden Dollar in den Anleihenmarkt pumpen und ihr Quantitative Easing ausbauen. Mit dem Aufkauf von kurzfristigen Schuldtiteln wollen sie Liquidität in die Unternehmen pumpen, die ihre Arbeiter und Zulieferer so hoffentlich bezahlen können. Der wohl drastischste Schritt war die Zinssenkung auf fast 0% und das an einem Sonntagnachmittag außerplanmäßig, zwei Tage bevor sie hätten tagen sollen. Nichts scheint zu helfen. Und die Notenbank verschießt ihre Munition scheinbar ohne zu treffen, sprich wirkungslos, bislang. 
Am Freitag verlor der Dow Jones alleine 900 Punkte und steht nun bei gerade 19.000 Punkten. Vor einem guten Monat fieberten die Anleger noch den 30.000 Punkten entgegen. Die letzte Woche war die schlechteste seit der Finanzkrise 2008. Sowohl Dow Jones als auch S&P 500 und Nasdaq Composite fielen in den letzten beiden Wochen hartnäckig und stecken tief im Bärenmarkt. Investorenlegende und Milliardär Ray Dalio vom Hedgefonds Bridgewater Associates sagte auf CNBC, dieser Markt agiere momentan einfach unberechenbar. So what you're seeing right now, very classic, is the inability of central banks to stimulate monetary policy in the way that is normal. In other words, in a, in a regular cycle, they push the button, poof, and they stimulate and give people credit. Alle Maßnahmen scheinen einfach zu verpuffen, vor allem die der Notenbank. Nach beiden Notfallzinssenkungen reagierten die Märkte danach mit einem noch tieferen Rot. Patrick Haley sagt, es war schlicht die falsche Medizin zur falschen Zeit. Die Panik wurde durch diese Zinsentscheidungen noch größer. So, I don't think it's a matter of interest rates being too high. I don't necessarily agree that the Federal Reserve should have cut rates uh, by 100 basis points. I think the manner in which they did it over the weekend after having just dropped 50 basis points 10 days prior um, uh, contributed to some of the uh, the fear uh, in the market. And you saw that in terms of the major sell-off. And so um, by making a move like that, which really is not going to have a material impact on sort of lending or liquidity just doesn't make a lot of sense to me and, and the manner in which they did it i think was was not handled appropriately and, and and the market reflected that but dropping rates 100 basis points over the weekend is going to have virtually no short term impact so i i i question why they did that in the first place der chefökonom der allianz mohammed el erian sagte es war zu viel der gleichen wirkungslosen medizin die erste Senkung von 50 Basispunkten war ebenfalls unwirksam verstrichen. Do not waste your general policies at this point. Look, we've cut interest rates by 150 basis points. It's the active inertia. It doesn't help and then you end up doing the same thing over. It's like the American tourist in Paris who says something in English, the French person doesn't understand and the American tourist simply says it again in English but louder. Diese Krise ist keine, die mit Geldpolitik bekämpft werden kann. Zumindest nicht akut. Denn sie ist eine Krise der Konsumenten. Sie verlieren ihre Jobs oder zumindest beträchtliche Teile ihres Einkommens. Letzten Donnerstag kletterte die wöchentliche Anzahl der Anträge auf Arbeitslosenunterstützung in den USA um 33 Prozent. Und das ist erst der Anfang. Die Zahl könnte diesen Donnerstag weiter empfindlich steigen. Experten rechnen damit, dass sich die Arbeitslosigkeit im März im Vergleich zum Februar verdoppeln wird. Das wiederum zieht einen anhaltenden Nachfrageschock nach sich. Zunächst, weil alle zu Hause bleiben und nicht konsumieren, später dann, weil das Einkommen fehlt. Patrick Haley. The issue going on right now is a, a tremendous demand shock that is being forced upon the economy because of all of these quarantines and, and draconian measures that the various governments are taking to try and uh, ward off or uh, the virus spread. And none of that is interest rate related or uh, liquidity related. It's really just a matter of the markets are in a panic mode because they cannot 
quantify how much of an impact this is going to have on the various sectors of the economy because they don't know how long this is going to last. Kevin Walsh, ein ehemaliger Notenbanker der Federal Reserve Bank, sieht es anders. Die Notenbank habe viele richtige Dinge getan. Nun ging es darum, die Liquidität in der US-Wirtschaft zu verteilen, sagte er auf CNBC. My sense is the next move for liquidity is it needs to be broader. The distressed industries that Eamon talked about at the outset is the US economy. So this liquidity now needs to be spread across the broad economy. And uh, that's the essential element, it strikes me, of responding to the 2020 pandemic. Denn die breite Wirtschaft ist betroffen, der US-Konsument, die Feder der Konjunktur. Deswegen sei der wichtigste und dringendste Schritt die Unterstützung des Konsumenten, sagt Haley. Und dort setzt vor allem die Fiskalpolitik der Regierungen an momentan. So I think the immediate focus is on the consumer, because you're talking about millions of people who in many cases live paycheck to paycheck and if they're not able to work or god forbid they're they're laid off but even if their hours are reduced and they're not being paid on a bi-weekly basis they need money to pay their bills they need money to buy groceries and so i think that's the immediate focus of the government from a fiscal policy standpoint but at the end of the day they are going to have to provide Excessive amount of financing to the hardest hit sectors like the airlines. Damit sind die Volkswirtschaften in einer Negativspirale gefangen. Denn Unternehmen wie vor allem Airlines und Flugzeugbauer erleben eine niedrigere Nachfrage und müssen am Ende ihre Belegschaft entlassen. Die natürlich wiederum auch Konsumenten sind und durch ihre Arbeitslosigkeit an Kaufkraft verlieren. Das einzige Gegenmittel ist leider wohl auch am schwierigsten zu handhaben oder zu erreichen. Der Virusausbruch muss unter Kontrolle gebracht werden. Patrick Haley. I think it's just it's a matter of having to to uh, allow time to pass and the number of reported cases to be reduced. Um, there are more testing being done, but I think some of the measures that the governments are taking to quarantine people, to discourage public gatherings, will have a, a positive impact. And it may seem drastic and certainly frustrating and painful to have to sit in your house for weeks. Um, but if it ends up resulting in kind of containing the problem, I think the market will react favorably if it has a positive effect. Und weil es so schwierig ist, das Verhalten der Menschen und damit des Virus vorherzusagen, herrscht Panik. On Main Street and on Wall Street, wie die Amerikaner sagen. Patrick Haley konferiert dieser Tage viel mit besorgten Kunden, die ihr Portfolio in Flammen aufgehen sehen. Er rät ihnen, Ruhe zu bewahren. I'll tell you what I, I'm, I'm preaching to my clients. And I think I've trained a lot of them well to not overreact to periods like this. Um, but uh, selling into this environment is, is virtually the worst thing you can do because you're, you're selling out at severely depressed prices, And uh, rationality within the stock market is out the window right now. Die Panik war zwischenzeitlich so groß, dass die automatischen Circuit Breaker in den letzten beiden Wochen schon mehrmals gegriffen haben und den Handel für jeweils 15 Minuten unterbrochen haben. Wirklich drastische Maßnahmen, denn das ist nicht mal in der Finanzkrise 2008 passiert. Lange haben sich die Händler hier auf dem Parkett bemüht, keine Vergleiche zu diesen dunklen Stunden der Wall Street zu ziehen. Damals sei das Risiko durch die Pleitebanken systemischer Natur gewesen. Und tatsächlich sind die Banken dieses Mal besser aufgestellt. Doch dieses Mal sind mehr Konsumenten deutlicher betroffen. 
und direkter. Und da könnte es zu so einigen Zahlungsausfällen kommen. Denn die amerikanischen Haushalte sind tief verschuldet mit Student Loans und mit Kreditkartenschulden. Laut einer neuen Umfrage der Finanzseite Wallet Hub werden rund 67 Millionen Amerikaner Probleme haben, ihre Kreditkartenrechnungen zu bezahlen. Angesichts der mehr als eine Billionen US-Dollar in Kreditkartenschulden kann sich das leicht durch die gesamte Wirtschaft ziehen. Patrick Haley sieht diese Risiken, aber glaubt noch nicht an ein Szenario wie nach 2008. So I actually think it's not as bad as the financial crisis. I think uh, our, our companies in the United States in particular and banks are much better capitalized than they were in 2008. More so on the household debt side. Uh, the amount of student debt out in the marketplace is a significant level. And you saw the federal government come in and say, we're going to you know, suspend interest on student loans. That doesn't mean they don't have to make their payment. And those are only on federal student loans, not on private student loans. So there's certainly some concerns there. Clearly, you're going to see some delinquencies in that space. It really depends on how long this lingers and how much it impacts consumers in terms of paychecks. And that's why I think a lot of the fiscal policy, at least being developed uh, early on, is going to be targeting consumers and making sure that they have enough money to pay their bills so that it doesn't create a more systemic credit issue. Diskutiert wurde auch den Aktienhandel ganz auszusetzen für eine bestimmte Zeit. Doch das wäre natürlich auch ein Signal von Panik und dafür, dass man dem Markt gar nicht mehr vertraut. Infolgedessen wären die Tage nach Wiedereröffnung der Märkte besonders volatil. Das sollte vermieden werden, sagt Haley. I don't know if closing the market down uh, is necessarily the right move because people do need access to liquidity and they need access to capital. If they choose to make emotional decisions by selling out at depressed levels, that is uh, their personal decision. But closing down the market, I mean, we, we've seen that before. I mean, the market's been closed in the wake of 9-11, a couple of days after Hurricane Sandy. But there have been examples of that. And, um, you know, the day that the market does reopen, you tend to have a, a tremendous amount of volatility. But I think, um, you know, if they decided to do something like that, it's just a matter of how long they could keep the markets closed. And I, I, because it's so open-ended, because we really don't know when uh, sort of the virus impact is going to, I guess, be reduced, uh, it's very difficult to make that call. And I, I don't anticipate them doing that at this time. Als physischer Ort wird das New Yorker Parkett ab heute geschlossen sein, da letzte Woche ein Floor-Trader und ein Mitarbeiter positiv auf das Coronavirus getestet worden waren. Doch der Handel geht weiter, elektronisch. Doch auch wenn wir in dieser Woche keine nachhaltig positiven Marktreaktionen auf die Maßnahmen der Notenbank sehen werden. Auf lange Sicht wird helfen, was die Notenbank gerade macht, denn es beschleunigt die Erholung. We'll be in a low interest rate environment because the Fed just cut to zero. So while that's not going to have a short-term effect in terms of the market activity, I think uh, the long-term benefit to the economy once we turn the corner and once we're out of the sort of the, the pandemic scare should have some, some very positive impact on both the economy and, and that will be reflected in the financial markets. Again, because it's very forward-looking. And so once we can put this in the rear view window, so to speak, uh, you know, there will be hopefully a lot of pent up demand for various you know, sectors of the economy. Die Königsfrage für alle Marktteilnehmer ist, wann das sein wird, wann dieser Zeitpunkt eintritt. 
Bislang rechnen die Analysten mit einer Rückkehr zu Unternehmensgewinnen im letzten Quartal 2020. Ich habe mir noch eine zweite Meinung eingeholt von Matthew Luzetti, einem der Chefökonomen der Deutschen Bank. Sein Urteil von der Notenbank fällt etwas positiver aus. Er glaubt, dass die Zinssenkungen der richtige Schritt waren und auch, dass es richtig war, so schnell auf Null zu gehen. Wenn auf Null, dann zügig, sagt er. Good morning, Matthew. How are you? Hi, thanks for having me. So we've seen actually negative reactions after the last two emergency rate cuts. Why is that? I, I think there's two reasons for that. One is you just have an environment where markets are reacting to a lot of negative news flow about the coronavirus and its impact on, on the global economy. And so you have a lot of volatility and you have you know, stock markets just in a general downtrend at this point. So that's something that is a bit unrelated to what the Fed has actually done, but just tells you about the general environment. Then I think you have a, a point where there may be some channel through which the Fed's actions can push people into a more negative risk sentiment. That is either through the possibility that the Fed is signaling something that others don't know about the outlook and that it could be worse. And then the second point is that monetary policy across the globe and now for the Fed has reached you know, near the limits of, of what we would think they can do. So markets are also reacting to central banks potentially being out of ammunition to respond to the economic downturn later. Yeah, that actually would have been my next question. I mean, that's one narrative that they used up a lot of ammunition very early in the process. So what would you say about the timing? We can talk about what kind of ammunition they have left later on. But like, first of all, the timing, was it too early? Or I mean, they didn't even wait for the meeting this week. So what about the timing? How do you see that? Yes, it was unprecedented. Since the last FOMC meeting, we've actually had two what I'll call emergency cuts, so cuts in between the, the two meetings. The timing, I, I think, was appropriate. The, the Fed was responding to what is a very rapidly evolving uh, situation, both in markets and the economy. You've had extreme volatility in markets. You've had illiquidity in, in the treasury market, which has pushed them to do QE. I don't think that they would have been better off waiting until the FOMC meeting. In fact, I think markets would have been worse off, not, not better off. And so it's always hard to know the counterfactual here, what would have happened if the Fed waited until the FOMC meeting. But I think it's, it's fair to say that they were responding aggressively early, and their own research suggests that when you're closer to zero rates, you need to be more preemptive, so you need to be proactive. And I think they've exactly followed that lesson here. That means you shouldn't do it in like tiny baby steps down to zero. Is that what you're saying? Exactly. The, the idea is that when you are closer to the limits of what you know, your traditional policy tool, that you need to provide as much cushion, as much accommodation to the economy as, as early as possible. And so that suggests doing bigger steps earlier uh, in a more preemptive way, rather than slowly drip feeding the stimulus over time. And I think that's, that's certainly what you've seen with what they've done with, with 150 basis points of interest rate cuts uh, over the past few weeks. I think that's kind of interesting simply because the markets didn't even expect that rate cut to zero this week, at least. I feel like 80% were expecting, I believe, 50 basis points or something like that. So 
I kind of expected a bigger reaction to that zero to zero point two five rate cut. Yeah, I think if you looked at what the, the market was pricing, it was you know nearly fully priced, but it was certainly some some tail risk that the Fed would not go all the way to zero. We we expected that they would. I think there's also this focus on on all the other tools that are are being considered and being rolled out. So the the Fed renewed their quantitative easing or asset purchase program where they're buying treasuries and and mortgage-backed securities. That is to hopefully ease illiquidity issues in these markets. They've also cut what's called the discount window, which is overnight and then now extended lending to directly to banks. And so they are trying to grease the wheels, so to say, of the credit channel so that banks are lending to households, are lending to businesses during a period where households and businesses are, are certainly going to be under some strain. Mm-hmm. Talking about the amount of ammunition or the possibilities, what else is left there? What else can they do? So the Fed is in, currently in this policy review where they are going to tell us their, uh, their, their plan for when they get back to zero. Unfortunately, getting back to zero preempted the, the rollout of that policy review. But what the plan has always said is, is you use the policy rate to get down to zero. We've done that already. You then use forward guidance about the Fed funds rate into the future, about how long you will keep rates at that level. They did that as well uh, this week. You then use the balance sheet to buy assets. They're doing that now as well. And now I think the market and, and the Fed is thinking about what more can or should be done. Chair Powell was pretty clear that they do not intend to follow negative interest rates, as other central banks have done. But the market is now contemplating, and I think the Fed is as well, do they need to restart some of these crisis era programs that helped channel credit to firms and, and households that needed it? In particular, the market is focused on the commercial paper market, which is lending very short term to, to corporations and, and to businesses. And so it's very possible that we get an announcement on that within the next few days, possibly even today. Is there anything that could strengthen the situation for the financial markets other than virus-related news? I've heard some voices saying that the only thing that can really do anything right now is basically that we hear that the virus outbreak is, is getting better. And no matter what the Federal Reserve Bank is doing, it, it's not really there. They can only do so much because the anxiety comes from somewhere else. I think fundamentally that is right. I think this is not really a monetary policy issue. However, you are having you know, issues with liquidity in markets and the Fed is doing what they need to do there. You are having potentially some credit concerns for corporates, and the Fed is and will be doing, I think, what, what you need to do there. So I think you need to see the next step would be fiscal authorities are stepping up and providing significant buffers against the downturn and significant stimulus. And we have at least seen movements in that direction over the past week in the U.S. and elsewhere. That, I think, will help for markets. It'll, it'll show that authorities not only monetary, but fiscal and, and health authorities are, are taking the threat, uh, both from a health perspective and from an economic perspective, very seriously. And then once you get all of those rolled out, um, the hope is that that can hopefully stabilize risk sentiment. And then it's all about the, the evolution of the virus. And that is a key
key, obvious uncertainty uh, over the next few months. Mm -hmm. You touched on that briefly already. How would you evaluate the measurements that the administration has taken so far? So you, you've seen a ramp up of, of both on, on the health side and on the fiscal side. Uh, this week, from a fiscal perspective, we had the House bill, uh, which, is, which is being passed. That provides a lot of what, what I would call automatic stabilizers that provide un expanded unemployment insurance to those that need it. They're providing for paid sick leave, hopefully providing a lot of loans to businesses. And so I think that's kind of a the bare minimum that needs to be done. And there's been progress made in that direction. In addition, there's discussions of a more significant stimu fiscal stimulus package uh, that's being considered both by the Senate and the administration. And while we don't have any details there yet, the order of magnitude looks to be in about the $800 billion range, which is about 4% of GDP. So it's a, a meaningful stimulus being considered. It's, it's on the order of what we saw during the financial crisis. And that would be appropriate, I think, given the, the size of the shock the U.S. economy is currently facing. Um, I guess we can or have to assume that this crisis is going to leave Americans uh, financially crippled. How bad can we or do we have to expect uh, the consumer to get hit? What do you think? What are your calculations or models saying? Yeah, I think it's unprecedented to see shutdowns of this nature across the U.S. economy. And so there's not really a historical benchmark for what we will see over the next few months and quarters, which makes it hard to gauge. But No doubt it'll be different than what we saw during the financial crisis because you're going to see consumer spending on things like services is going to decline sharply. That was one element of the financial crisis economy that actually remains supportive. The extent of the fragility or, or stress on households will depend on largely on the fiscal response. And if the fiscal response picks up and, and you do see expanded unemployment insurance, you do see the appropriate funneling of funds to households and businesses, that can help limit the stress. But that remains to be seen at the moment. And uh, you mentioned uh, that this is kind of the difference to the financial crisis, and that's what my feeling is as well, that the consumer this time is being hit more broadly and kind of more directly. So um, would you agree that uh, the consumer maybe as the engine of the economy is the most fragile part right now that needs to be supported the most in a financial way? So I, I think absolutely the, the consumer and consumer spending is certainly very, very fragile in, the, in this environment. We came into this episode with probably the, the strongest aggregate consumer balance sheet that we've seen on record, although there is significant disparity there across the income distribution with um, households in the lower portion of the income distribution still very, very fragile. So it, it tells you in the aggregate, they have some capacity to weather these issues. But what you are seeing will be is, is unprecedented. Uh, you have businesses shutting down. You have the inability to go out and go to restaurants or, or fly or go out to the movies. So the consumer spending will take a hit that, that we did not see during, during the financial crisis. In addition to that, I, I think small businesses will, will also be under significant stress. 
again, because small businesses are providers of a lot of these services, activities that households will not be able to partake in. And so a key part of the administration's response uh, has to be supplying loans and funds to small businesses so that hopefully they can continue their operations during this period and, and, and maintain their employment during this period. Okay, Matthew, I'm going to shoot the most uh, difficult question at you now. Let's say the virus outbreak is contained, which we do not know when this is going to be. But after this virus outbreak has been contained, let's say in the summer, how long does it going to take to get back to normal? How long are we going to see the marks in supply chains, in uh, consumer sentiment and consumer spending in the economy overall? I think if, you know, the evolution is, is very uncertain from here. And so any forecasts have much more uncertainty than what we would typically have during this period. But I think if, if you do have, as, as many people think, during the summer months, the virus subsiding, then you should have a rebound in activity in the second half of the year, and in particular in Q4, once we get past presidential election uncertainty. So we're hopeful that you do see that rebound. But as you know, there are going to be more longer-term or medium-term potential scarring effects from this, certainly on supply chains, perhaps from consumer spending activity, you know, willingness to go out. We haven't, in, in my discussions with colleagues in Asia, we haven't really seen that in Asia in response to past episodes. But I think it's hard to rule that out in the current environment where, where it is very unprecedented. So I, I think we should think that there are more longer lasting effects on the economy from this episode, even if you do get a rebound in activity in the second half of the year, as we expect. You've seen the financial crises. You've seen many moments of stress in the markets, many moments of recovery. In what way is this moment different? How high is the level of stress? I, I think the level of uncertainty is, is very high and you know higher than what we've, we've seen with not knowing how the virus is going to evolve, not knowing how economic activity is going to evolve, not knowing if there's going to be you know, more significant lockdowns, not knowing how your employment is going to look going forward. So all those things, I, I think, are, are certainly unprecedented and are requiring unprecedented action from policymakers. Uh, the speed with which the Federal Reserve responded was, was incredibly fast compared to what we saw during the crisis. And we, you know, I think the speed with which fiscal authorities respond will also need to be similarly rapid. Thank you so much, Matthew. Thank you so much as well. Take care. Bye-bye. Me too. Bye-bye. Ja, sie durften dieses ungute Gefühl in der Magengrube kennen, das da rumort beim Blick ins Portfolio. Unangenehm. Und deswegen möchte ich Ihnen gerne heute das hier mitgeben. In investing what is comfortable is rarely profitable. Das kommt von Robert Arnott, amerikanischer Unternehmer, Investor und Autor. Er ist Vorsitzender von Research Affiliates, die über 195 Milliarden US-Dollar verwalten. Manchmal müsse man seine Komfortzone verlassen, um signifikante Gewinne zu erzielen. Nun dürften die Grenzen ihrer Komfortzone spätestens jetzt überschritten sein. Habe ich recht? Arnold reiht dazu, nur in kleinen Dosen aus ihr herauszutreten. Dazu müssen sie sich auch selbst kennen. Und vor allem, sie müssen ehrlich zu sich selbst sein. Können Sie damit umgehen, drin zu bleiben in den Aktien, wenn alle anderen abspringen? Oder während der größten Rallye des Jahrhunderts aussteigen? Es gibt keinen Platz für Stolz bei dieser Selbstanalyse. 
In anderen Worten, wenn Sie nachts kein Auge zu bekommen momentan, können Sie aussteigen. Oder Sie meditieren. Aber wie auch in anderen Lebensbereichen, der totale Zusammenbruch, Rock Bottom, wie die Amerikaner sagen, der bietet auch vieles an Möglichkeiten. Auch Gewinnmöglichkeiten an der Börse. Vorausgesetzt, es ist auszuhalten für Sie. Und die Antwort kann eben auch sein, das ist nichts für mich. Seien Sie ehrlich mit sich, nicht stolz. Das war's von mir für diese Ausgabe. Ich hoffe, Sie verstehen die anderen Anleger nun etwas besser, denn das ist mindestens genauso wichtig, wie sich selbst zu verstehen. Es sind emotionale Tage. Lassen Sie diese Emotionen ruhig raus, aber nicht am Aktienmarkt und nicht an Ihrem Geld. Wenn Sie Anregungen, Wünsche, Feedback haben, schreiben Sie mir gerne eine E-Mail an wallstreetweekly.mediapioneer.com. Wir hören uns nächsten Montag wieder. Haben Sie eine gesunde Woche. Von Herzen, Ihre Sophie Schimanski. Musik